Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself. I'm Paul Jay. We're in Berkeley, California. Matthew Fox is a former Catholic priest. He's now an Episcopal priest. But when Pope Francis became Pope, he wrote a book called Letters to Pope Francis. And here's a small excerpt from that. Will you two break, Matthew addresses to the Pope, Will you too break with the fathers of Wall Street and titans of power who espouse an oligarchy of wealth and power to dominate others by means of economic and political injustice the world over? Those who are hiding $32 trillion in secret offshore accounts to guarantee they and their corporations pay no income taxes. That book, Letters to Pope Francis, is a series of letters where Matthew challenges the Pope to I guess, rise, rise to the occasion. And now joining us to talk about whether he thinks the Pope has is Matthew Fox. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here, Paul. So how has the Pope done in terms of your expectations? I said earlier in our interviews, you and I interviewed just after he became Pope, and you didn't have a lot of expectations for what came. Um, how has he been doing in terms of standing up to the fathers of Wall Street, as you put it. Um, and, and, and then let's talk about those in the church who aren't very happy with the way he is doing some of that. Well, I think that um, his standing up to what he calls the idolatry of money uh, has been strong. And uh, you know it's been strong because of the enemies he's made, like Rush Limbaugh saying he's a Marxist. Um, and as you say, the, the fire in the right wing to, to shut him up. Um, and I think he's made you know, many an appeal on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. And of course, he comes from a third world continent, so he knows uh, about that pretty much firsthand. So you really give him credit for that, I think. Um, I think his encyclical Laudate Si on the environment is a, is a marvelous uh, bit of work. I think it's very important. And um, that, too, has angered the right people, I think. Uh, but I think he really lays out a, uh, a, he doesn't just talk about the problem, but I think he lays out in a very positive way uh, how we can um, uh, find our way uh, through this number one moral issue, really, of our time. Um, I did a, an article on that in Circo and one thing I learned was he uses the word beauty like 27 times. So he's really developing, it's a very, to me it's an encyclical, very creation spirituality. And as one fellow who's in his 80s, a very wise man said to me, well this is a coming of age of creation spirituality. And I say it's true, the previous two popes called my work dangerous and deviant for 34 years, and this pope is plagiarizing my work. <laughs> so I've lived he a pretty He hasn't reached out to you life. at all, has he? Uh, not, not explicitly, but the fellow who wrote that encyclical, 85% of it, is a former student of mine, actually. So uh, he certainly uh, knows uh, what we've been about. So, so I like that. Now, I would give him very bad grades on his canonizing of Junipero Serra, the Franciscan missionary out here in California who set up the mission system, which was really nothing but concentration camps and um, slave camps for the indigenous people. And this is proven. This is, um, uh, there have been a lot of scholarly studies the last 10 or 15 years laying out what really went on in the missions. And I worked with California Indians here to, to stop that canonization of Sarah. 
and uh, we failed at that. One of them, a leader in the Native American community, said that uh, if he goes through with this, canonize Sarah, that he'll be making war on indigenous people all over the world. So that was a terrible mistake on his part. But, um, you know, we all, we've all got clay feet. He's a human being like the rest of us, and he's made mistakes. Um, <clears throat> but um, uh, I think that I would give him good grades. Now, I, I see his role today as a lot like the Dalai Lama. I don't see his role really as so much saving the Catholic Church. I think it's beyond redemption today. I think it's dying in front of our faces. And there's too much weight of dogmas, such as the sexual teachings that we alluded to earlier, that just aren't going to go away. Or the dogma that women can't be ordained and so forth. You know, I don't think he's really here to do that. Uh, I think he's here to do what the Dalai Lama is doing, to try to, try to uh, get human beings to start thinking in moral ways together again and debating. In fact, I, I told him, I think, in my book there, why don't you and the Dalai Lama go on a tour together to five different continents and talk about five important issues like work and education and women and youth and, and, of course, an economics that works for everyone, and by everyone, I mean all the species on the planet, not just the human species, um, I, and, of course, the climate. So I think that would be a very good use of his time, actually. And, and he's been pretty strong on economic inequalities. Definitely. I mean, he condemns the excesses of capitalism. Yes. And uh, like a lot of people, imagines there could be a capitalism without the excesses, and I personally think that horses left the barn. Uh -huh. um, but the, uh, he's taken a lot of flack for it, and both on climate and his uh, issues of inequality have aroused the opposition of people like Steve Bannon, who was in the White House until recently, and is still, uh, I, I think a lot of people think, in Trump's ear. Um, Opus Dei, the f essentially fascist organization within the Catholic Church and represents a lot of bishops and a lot of the hierarchy. And if they're not directly uh, Opus Dei, and maybe they are, but as you pointed out earlier, they're secret, so it's hard to know who is and who isn't. But the American Cardinal Burke, who claims not to, have, now claims apparently not to have met Bannon, which I find beyond belief. Yeah, he said this. There's a New York Times piece where about Burke and Bannon, and Burke says he's never met Bannon, which I, I, I don't understand because uh, Bannon did a Skype uh, speech to a, a meeting at the Vatican. Of a, I forget the name of the organization, but it's some institute of the family of some kind, which seems to have Opus Dei connections. Mm -hmm. uh, Burke is on the, uh, either emeritus or is on the board of advisors of that group that Bannon spoke to, and Bannon's picture was up on their website for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, there, there is a cabal of, of the far right that that sees, and there, I mean, I just should add, there's 1.2 at least billion Catholics in the world. Mm -hmm. And the moral authority of the church, maybe it wasn't what it was, but it's still significant in many parts of the world. And, and so it, it matters, and, and to have a pope that comes out uh, quite strongly in many ways against the Opus Dei, Bannon, Trump, and others' agenda, uh, they don't like. So, so talk about you know, who Opus Dei is, Dei is and, and, and this real fascist trend within the church and what it means in terms of the Pope, Pope Francis. Well, the founder of Opus Dei was a, a Spanish priest named Escriva. In the 1920s, he founded it. 
And, um, in Spain. In Spain, yes. And it played very much into Franco's hands, so much so then that Franco, the dictator of Spain, uh, had Opus Dei members on his cabinet and um, uh, for generations. And so they played a tremendous role in the right-wing fascist politics under Franco. Um, and of course, there was a lot of division in Spain. And when Franco was finally overturned and the socialists took over, of course, uh, Opus Dei was, was diminished. But they had had a tremendous impact through religion, but also through politics. And they had their own university and so forth. And of course, they found a lot of um, followers, if you will, in, in America, both South America and North America. And um, the greatest, actually the greatest uh, uh, treason subject in, in America uh, was this fellow, he's in my book. Um, he gave away more secrets than any other uh, spy, uh, of our spies in, in, the, in, the, in, in our history. And he got lots and lots of our spies uh, murdered and so forth because he was giving, he was a counter-intelligence uh, guy working with the FBI for over 20 years until they found him. And in fact, the head of FBI at the time was Opus Dei. And uh, there's been a movie done on Hannon uh, as well by Hollywood. He's now in jail, but it took them so long to catch him, etc. And he was this rigorous Catholic, went to Mass every morning and, and sold his country out every afternoon. And um, so, you know, it's not pretty. And Opus Dei has this, this, um, these tentacles to go where the power is. So they, they're very big in the media and they're very big in finance. I was uh, in Germany several years ago and um, I was with a journalist there in downtown Frankfurt. And he said, what do you see looking out the window? We were having tea. I said, well, I see a lot of skyscrapers going up. He said, yes. And he said, all those skyscrapers are about finance because, uh, because of the euro, finance is moving from Switzerland to Frankfurt. And he said, the top of every one of those skyscrapers will be Opus Dei. But they are the final word on most of the finance in Europe. It, it amazed me. Uh, but uh, so they, they go where the power is. They, and, and so they go to finance. They go to the media, for sure. At the university, uh, journalism is in their, one of their biggest uh, majors. And, um, of course, they go to the Supreme Court. They go to uh, the Pentagon and the CIA. And um, I think it's one reason you have so many far-right Catholics on the Supreme Court since um, the first President Bush. Remember, he was in the CIA. He was the head of the CIA. And I think he, he got to know a lot of uh, Opus Dei, far-right-wing Catholics there, and, and they could be relied on for, for certain things, certain notions of loyalty. So, um, you know, it's important to blow the whistle on these things. Now, now Pope Francis, I don't see him really combating uh, uh, Opus Dei head-on. He's hired some of them for his journalistic purposes and so forth. But, but I'm sure he's somewhat wary because he comes from South America. And, and down there, of course, things are less subtle. You know, there, there are not so many um, layers of uh, subterfuge or the, down there. The things are just clearer. And certainly he knows, for example, how the previous two popes, in effect, fired liberation bishops and cardinals and started making all those Opus Dei bishops and cardinals. Um, 
here in, now in San Francisco, you have an Opus Dei Archbishop, and you have an Opus Dei Archbishop in Los Angeles. So here are the two biggest dioceses on the West Coast, and one of them is the biggest diocese perhaps in the country, run by an Opus Dei Bishop. These, of course, were appointed by previous popes. I don't think Pope Francis has appointed any Opus Dei cardinals or bishops well, since he's come uh, out. How would you describe the Opus Dei belief system? What do they advocate? It's all about obedience. And um, it's very rigid and very strict. And um, it's very um, patriarchal. Uh, women play very subservient roles. And Escriva himself was, was an absolute sexist. He would scream at women and when his eggs weren't cooked right or something like that. Now, another dimension of this is that they canonized Escriva in the fastest uh, canonization ever <laughs> in history. That was JP2. They rushed him through on the JP2. Obviously, a lot of money was involved in that. And they actually change the entire canonization process, beginning with the scriba. They throw out the devil's advocate. And so at his canonization process, no one was allowed to speak who knew his dark side. And he had these tremendous dark sides, like the way he treated women, but other things too. So, um, well, fascism. <laughs> it, it, right, it's fascism. It's about power and control. It's very secretive. Uh, <clears throat> That's why it's very hard to find out who is and isn't Opus Dei. I know one quick story about Opus Dei. Sergeant Shriver, who was a very practicing Catholic, as you may know, from Notre Dame, went to Notre Dame, he went to Mass uh, almost daily. Um, he was invited into Opus Dei, and he actually stepped in, joined for a little bit, and then he got the hell out of real as soon as he figured it all out. But it's interesting, see. And they, they've now they set up camps, if you will, or or recruits on a lot of Catholic college campuses in this country. Uh, they, they go after the younger generation and they say, you know, we can promise you a sense of community and look at how much success our people have. You know, they're, they're hard workers and they get good degrees and they make it in journalism, they make it in banking, they make it in politics, they make it in the church. You know, we have a lot to offer you kind of a thing. Uh, and they've done this not just in North America, but in, in Europe, too. I know in England they've done this, too. How, how much do we know about whether Steve Bannon is directly Opus Dei or just shares values with Opus Dei? Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. I would guess he's not Opus Dei because there's nothing particularly religious about him, except that he, he hangs on to this um, mythology and ideology of the Christian, he likes to talk about Christian Europe. Well, that's his mission, he says, it's the defense of Western Christian civilization. Right, Anti-Islam, right. anti-China. Exactly. And, um, uh, yeah, he's, he's taken that upon Comes himself. Comes from finance. <laughs> it, right. He's taken that upon himself. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes our, our media uh, leaves us ignorant of how the, the right-wing movement that you have embodied in Trump and Bannon is, is alive and well in many parts of the world today. I mean, what's happened in Hungary, what's happened in Poland, uh, of course, what's happening in Russia, um, and, and other places, including some countries in Africa. And um, so, you know, it's, there's this bigger thing going on, and we should realize that we can over-obsess, I think, about Trump, you know, and of course, Trump 
didn't just drop out of the sky. Trump really represents, I think, the, the dark side of the Republican Party the last 30 years. Uh, you know, the whole Southern strategy and so forth is, is, uh, is was, uh, um, and the whole Cuck thing, you know, the whole Cuck ideology began in Virginia. Which with, ideology? Uh, Cuck, the Cuck brothers. Oh, Cuck, yeah. Yeah, the Cuck brothers. Um, it began with, uh, in Virginia, with the rejection of the Brown versus ed education decision. So it's about racism at its, at its origins. And all these dog whistles are, are about that. And then finally getting a current Secretary of Education who, you know, who wants to cut money for public schools and put it all in private schools. Um, that goes way, way back. So, um, and you know, the Cook brothers themselves said this is an amazing phrase they used that uh, capitalism has to trump democracy. That's their goal. And uh, you have to admit they've been very successful. They've been training judges in this country for, for decades. Um, all these right-wing judges that now Trump is appointing uh, at all levels of the judiciary, including the Supreme Court, they come out of these cook schools that they did a lot of training of lawyers to get them to think in this particular way. Okay, in the next segment of our interview, we're going to talk about American Cardinal Burke targeting not only Pope Francis, but trying to encourage a rise of far-right movements in Europe and here and right into the White House. So please join us for the continuation of Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network.